0: Hey, it's Bulelani Balabala Bala here. Welcome to the Small Business Podcast. We bring you weekly information, practical skills, and mentorship from industry professionals. This podcast is powered by T, an initiative that has directly impacted over 50,000 plus small businesses nationwide. This podcast is for small business owners who want to start, run, and grow their business. Follow us on all our social media platforms. Hashtag join us for T. Every Wednesday is a new podcast. Good day, good afternoon, uh, depending on where you are in the world. Um, Thank you so much for joining us yet again for episode number eight. I'm excited, man. Um, I've got an amazing gentleman in studio with me today, um, kicking off our podcast. Uh, Maybe let me just give you a bit about his bio before I give you the name. So he's he's a businessman, an entrepreneur, and a property investor. Um, okay, I can't read this part without giving off his name. So, <laughs> Papa Biz is a property mentor with a specific focus on cash-positive properties. He's also the co-founder of PH Boutique and PH Home, um, which is an amazing boutique. I mean, I was I was, I was watching one of the interviews with uh, I think it was it was uh, not top billing, but. Afternoon, afternoon, Afternoon Express, Express. Afternoon <laughs> Express. <laughs> okay. Um, and there was very nice insights that I picked up from there. And I think just to follow up on the sort of bio, as a multi-award winning entrepreneur. Has also been mentioned as a male and guardian, 200, top 200 um, young individuals in 2019 um so this gentleman is an all-rounder mentor property um so ladies and gentlemen let's give him a round of applause as we welcome him to the show pop-up
1: is how are you sir <laughs> i'm 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 good i'm happy to be here thanks for having me
0: yeah thank you um I think uh, an informal, informal intro on my side is Papa, my Papa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> if that's what you want to say, <laughs> yeah. Papa.
0: Man, you know, you've been you've been an entrepreneur who's done exceptionally well. I think we've had some chats, you know, in and around what you've been able to build and what you've been able to achieve. And I think just talking around, you know, what you were able to build you know, in, with the boutique in itself. It's something very exceptional because you sort of look at other sort of um, modern day traditional wear um, boutiques or shops that are out there. It's sort of treated as not necessarily a serious business, um, someone does two outfits there. They sort of hang the stuff, and I mean, I looked at when I was watching the when I was watching the interview. You know how the store was branded. I had never seen a physical store, but oh wow, look at that! How how the store was branded, right? Mm. From that sort of black and white patterns on the on the wall, um, sort of emulated the actual patterns. What sort of process did you sort of undertake in building up in in working on that particular venture, the boutique?
1: Wow. <laughs> so uh, that, that's quite a loaded question because, look, uh, myself, I mean, my, my background is uh, I obviously grew up uh, in South Africa uh, since when did we come here from? 88. So I'm, I'm originally from Ghana. So so my parents brought me here. And what I'd actually studied was um, actuarial science. So m- my background is actually um, um, as somebody who had studied actuarial science at the Pretoria University. And, and I'd worked uh, within corporate uh, for quite some time. I was actually in banking. Uh, for for quite um, a, a significant period, so uh, the the whole notion just to you know have the boutique and have multiple uh, boutiques is, was our actual goal. Was simply because you know you know my wife and I we sat down. I think it was in uh, twenty ten when we got married. Yeah, we got married twenty ten. And we just thought, you know, we should actually be trying something uh, different for ourselves while we're both uh, working corporate. Um, so, so what you'd see manifesting in t- terms of the store and, and, and the look and feel was uh, basically a representation of, of ourselves, uh, the type of experience that we'd want if, uh, you know, we had an special occasion that, that uh, we ha- had to go to. And, and, you know, that's where the, the whole look and feel uh, for it actually came from.
0: I mean, as someone who's a professional, right? coming from the back banking sector, something you know that would largely be considered as very structured, um how was how was going? How was sort of setting your foot in sort of this entrepreneurial abyss because I think for the most part, you'd find that entrepreneurship is chaos. I think one gentleman <laughs> says it's it's well-organized chaos,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I know i'm I'm glad you you mentioned that. I think I remember the 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 first a few months, once I was a full-time entrepreneur, uh, I remember experiencing uh, the truth of the statement, which is that once you're a full-time entrepreneur, you're finally able to sleep like a baby. Yeah. Which means you wake up every three hours crying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because there's just so much that happens, you know, when once you um, are an entrepreneur on that type of level. But I think for for ourselves, it was uh, better because, you know, we had a a strategy that, that we were following. Uh, and even in terms of that strategy to just, just focusing on you know keeping your full-time job while starting a part-time business. Uh, I'd seen a lot of colleagues who had gone and, and started um, something on their own and they went uh, head first and, and, and there's challenges, uh, serious challenges because you don't realize how you don't realize how spoiled you are when you're an entrepreneur, when you mm-hmm. are an employee. Yeah. you don't realize how entitled. Uh, you are when you're an employee because everything is is, is is done for you. But you know when you're uh, entrepreneur, when you're somebody who's who's paying salaries and things like that, everything is reliant on you, and and it and it takes a while to to have that shift uh, take place. And then, so so we did, uh, we built our stores and everything while we were still working, and and that helped uh, for for the mindset uh, as well. I mean, my wife she was able to leave uh, corporate uh, when we had two stores at the time. She was uh, head of her department at a merchant bank. Uh, and and myself, uh, I was able to leave corporate as well when, when we had four physical stores. I mean, by the time that I left uh, corporate, I was a, a vice president at the bank that I was working at uh, beforehand. But it was just a different... It was just a, a need for a different type of uh, um, spirit, if, 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 I can, if I can put it like that. Because it's almost like you start earning... Uh, money in a different way and it becomes a, a spiritual thing actually uh, because uh, it's, it's, it's it's different when you are able to count on receiving money every single uh, time in the same period uh, in the month regardless of, of how you perform yeah uh, as opposed to now when you know you really need to test yourself and, and not only test yourself but uh, apply what you've learned and, and and build upon systems so that uh, you can have a, a bit of a smoother smoother type of ride yeah I mean just just talk us I mean I'm
0: sure there's, there' there's certain individuals that are, would be listening to this podcast and I think to their benefit right who are still working in corporate um, or are not working at all but rather I think for the benefit of this question who are working and are thinking of making making the jump right. Um, what what was the pivotal moment? I mean, was it because you had a structured plan, like you're saying, an execution strategy for when you would make the jump? Or did you certainly feel at a certain moment that, you know, what, um, I need to do this, you know? Because sometimes when people are faced with making the jump, the sort of question, you're my bond, you're this, you're that, you're this, what if this doesn't work? And I guess, how did you deal with that sort of anxiety? <sighs>
1: Yeah, look, everybody's journey is, is is different. That's what I've come to experience because we engage now with a lot of different business owners and entrepreneurs. And and for me, I think where things really started to shift, <laughs> uh, things started to shift when as we were applying what uh, we were learning, because I'd read like a lot of books. I'd read a lot of books to try and figure out how it, is a business actually supposed to be run. Mm. So I, I used to read about like what, 20 books um, every single year and looking to apply that into something that is not actually traditional, if you understand. I mean, when people would think about traditional clothing and so on, either you're going to think of, you know, the person running it as the designer or it's somebody who will just make, you know, two outfits for somebody and, I mean, there's no business there. Mm. And so now we, are try- we had seen a gap uh, in the market and now we were testing, is there actually a market in this gap? Mm. And, and that's where things started to change because as we were testing if there was actually a market in this gap, you know, income started to come in. And and before, and I mean, we we saving a lot of our own money and 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 pumping um, our, quite a significant portion of our salary to to build this business, and then there was a point where the income that was coming in from the business had actually become quite significant, but um, it had actually come, you know significant enough where you know it was more than sufficient to uh, for my wife to to leave corporate, and and then I was still in corporate as well, and the income continued to grow as we were growing our business. So for me. I come from an actual science background so it's not about the fluff it's about the numbers (laughs) (laughs) so i I was looking at the numbers and i was saying but you know what actually you know we we can actually focus uh, here and things will improve uh, much more and and that's where the transition came through
0: now uh, you know so i sort of i sort of checked some of the some of the work that you've done and i think there was one topic that um, intrigue me that you covered years ago, right? And I'll probably throw you with a curveball. I mean, and I think it was an interview you did with Thriving Entrepreneurs' or magazine then and was talking about how to develop an entrepreneurial mindset. What to you do you believe are some of the critical, I don't know, say, components to developing this entrepreneurial mindset? Because you have these individuals that have been in this game, um, some a year, some two and I guess you, you have the sort of die out rate, I guess, now we're much higher mm. due to lockdown and COVID-19 and the sort. And I guess, how do I develop this mindset? And then I guess if I've developed it, how do I stay in the game? I think you sort of mentioned the reading 20 books a year, which is phenomenal, right? Um, what can I do?
1: Look, that's a, that's a very good question. And, you know, I was actually chatting about this. Uh, with uh, friends of mine just yesterday, because you know it's 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 almost like one forgets what it's like when you're on the other side, when you're not a person who's really you don't believe that you can chase the dreams that you've got and, and things like that. And one thing that I've experienced is uh, there was a quote um, that that haunted me. This was about um, eight years ago, and that quote was that you'll be exactly the same person you are in five years as you are today except for the books that you read and the people you spend your time with. That thing hit me like you cannot believe, you know? And it's, it's, it's what forced me to to um, end up reading um, just so much. And I remember actually when we had opened our first store and then my sister, I've got a little sister, she lives in the UK, she's a, a chartered accountant. And she said to me, I'm seeing you reading all of these books. What's, and she'll call me Putty. She's like, "Putty, what's going on? Why are you reading all of these books and putting all of these reviews up? And I said to her, the the person that I am today um, is not capable of being able to handle what I'm trying to build. This person that I am today needs to grow in order to be able to uh, realize the dreams um, that I'm chasing. And, you know, that's where, you know, I was able to see then it also became very important to be very deliberate about the people that one's spending their time with. You know, there's certain things that we can choose, but other things that, you know, we can't choose and we can choose who we spend our time with because we become like those people. And, and I just got to see as well that the more time we spend with uh, other entrepreneurs and, you know, <laughs> people smarter than I am, uh, in, invariably, you know, via osmosis, I'd also become similar to them. And I'd also be able to get a part of that entrepreneurial uh, mindset, You know, how that even impacts us uh, today, you know, obviously, you know, we grew um, our uh, chain of of boutiques. I mean, at the point uh, last year, we had um, seven stores that we had grown um, across, you know, nationwide. We'd won, you know, numerous awards, Mm. uh, Mail and Guardian awards. Uh, We won Vusite Maguire's um, Top 40 program. We were the number one business under his program. He'd use our business as a case study. He'd use our, our business as a case study when he'd go and present to um, companies and other um, individuals to showcase, you know, how to grow um, a business. And then obviously lockdown came through. Hmm. Now lockdown, I mean, that completely decimated um, our business. And it's also many, many entrepreneurs. I mean, it's, it's not just ourselves. And it was an extremely traumatic and, and a painful period uh, to go through when you see something that you've developed um, so much and put so much into it starts to completely disintegrate but it goes back to the same principles of you know what is a business you know a, a business is just uh, it's just something where you know you, you create you're creating a solution for a problem that that's that's all a business is and so what would happen with with our business and like many other businesses is you start to realize when you've got lockdown and people are not able to go out and they have to stay at home you start realizing this is something very painful to realize but you realize that you know what my business is no longer solving a problem. Because now the problem that it used to solve doesn't exist anymore because now everybody's at home. But as an entrepreneur, you're still able to think to yourself, okay, cool. Let me go through the trauma. Let me go through the depression. What other problem can I solve? Is there some other problem that is now existing that would actually be more long-term that I could look into and invest time in to solve? And and these things, they don't even come you know automatically because yes you know you read books and you spend time with you know other entrepreneurs and things like that but something that's always given my uh, wife and I like a, an advantage with 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 our journey is that we'd actually invest we invest time and money um, in non-traditional courses what do you mean by that so for instance I mean
0: Hey, and, bro- I, and I must say, like, you've got me taking
1: notes. Yeah. <laughs> I see you taking notes. I'm and, like, oh, no, cool. and,
0: and I'm loving this, you know, because and, and and I think, guys, that's the thing about the podcast, right? You know, and I think and I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's but cool. That's the thing about the podcast, you know, I'm not here because I'm an expert, but I'm learning from these amazing minds and I'm taking these notes so I can go meditate on them um, at night. But just tell me, Papa, what do you mean by untraditional or rather non-traditional courses?
1: So I mean, you've got your traditional courses where you go to you know university. Yeah. you get a certificate. You know, you can use this and and apply for for work and and things like that. But more and more, what you see happening now is you've got uh, people who've got their degrees and they can't find work. Mm. It's almost like the skills that we've been taught from those degrees are not even needed in in the workplace, and it's, it becomes problematic. Now, something that we saw is that uh, we were challenged. I was actually challenged in, in one of the books to say that. This will give you like an advantage is to pay for non-traditional uh, courses with your own money. I don't need to go and ask the bank to pay for this mm. uh, course for me. And and that's what we did some some years back. I remember we we invested uh, money and uh, took a course around marketing. It was specifically around uh, Facebook marketing for business. This was an online course this was eight years ago, uh, and from from, Amer- from an American company. And and we took that course. I mean at the time. It was a lot of money. I mean, it was 25,000 rand for this course. It was a lot of money. <laughs> yes, a lot of money. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of money. So, you know, we borrowed from our credit card and stuff and we we did this course. The interesting thing is that 90% of what we learned in the course, we couldn't use. We're in the South African market. You can't use that information. Mm. But 10% of what we learned there, it really made a difference for us. I mean, I'll use the one example with 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 the boutique um, as we were growing it, is that we had a Facebook following on on our for our boutique I think we had about 10,000 followers. So it was growing nicely. Um, six months after we did the course, we had 100,000 followers. Hmm. So now we had 100,000 followers that were fully engaged. We had to open up a store. So what ended up, we were forced almost into full-time entrepreneurship because we had created demand before mm. we could even supply. Mm. Mm. You know, And, and that, was, that was one example. And we've utilized that now because we've got uh, even another business as well. So we've got uh, a digital media uh, business. And we've applied it, things that we've learned from there into this company you now. Now, where that even came from as well is that even last year as well, because we find ourselves whenever we're, uh, we're a bit depressed, it's like let's find a course to <laughs> <laughs> let's find a course to do. Yeah. So we found a course. The uh, a lady, she was a Nigerian lady, and and we did this course that was around how to monetize or make money from uh, your knowledge, you know, and. That one wasn't as expensive. I think we spent about 10,000 rand on that course. But the same thing, you don't get a certificate. You know, your certificate is how you apply it. Mm, mm, and w- mm. when we did that that course, it was amazing to realize, oh, but we've actually learned quite a bit. There's things that we, we can apply and teach others and and they'd be prepared to, to pay us for this. And it's amazing that investment from from last year, we've been able to utilize that and help many, many entrepreneurs. And that's actually how it birthed, Funny enough, a completely, completely different business that we started at the beginning of the year, where you know we've got, you know, we've got different clients, but like proper, proper individuals, um, celebrated individuals, where you know we engage with them and we help them monetize on their knowledge, help them make money from what they already know. I mean, I know you had my wife here before, and so she goes into far more detail uh, mm-hmm. around it, but all of these things that comes from like I keep saying, non-traditional courses—you don't get a certificate. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but what you learn, you actually now begin to apply. And yeah, there's courses that we've done, and you know, you don't really apply everything that that you've learned from it. It's not as great. Yeah. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But you know, one's always looking to learn, and the more you're able to learn, you know, you, you're able to you're able to grow your income.
0: And I mean, Papa, you know what? What a what. You know, I think one of the key things that are that are sort of picked up when going through your bio, and I think the work that you do is in and around how you've I think how you've opened yourself up to sharing this knowledge. I guess as a mentor, right? Whether it's whether it's through the property space linked with entrepreneurship and other facets, right? But I guess for me, it would be to open up before we go deeper into the mechanics of what you do, and I think I'd love to know more. <clears throat> around the property space, right? It would be to say, what, what were your, some, some of your early inspirations or even your current inspirations that, you know, that keep you going, um, that have kept you in the game, right? Because I think entrepreneurship in and of itself is very difficult. And I think what I found myself is that even though I'm in the midst of a thousand people, I still feel alone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And what has kept you inspired or,
1: you know, in the game? Look I think uh, it's not to be too uh, philosophical I mean myself I'm like I keep saying I come from a mathematical <laughs> uh, background but, but something that has meant uh, the most to me is that uh, when I was in corporate and I know many people this is the experience I mean it is serious work that, that we're doing it consumes it consumes my time, my thought for a significant period of the day and I just didn't have time to really pay attention and invest time in to understand different ways to make money. And so because I didn't have the time, I was relying on one source of income. Mm. And I was desperate for that time to be able to find other avenues to make money. I mean, they say the average millionaire has got seven different uh, streams of income. And what I'd find is that when I was finally able to move into a full-time entrepreneurship, I had more time to invest in myself to understand the different uh, ways uh, to make money. And I mean, one of the main things, I mean, you'll even find is that I even got to understand that the purpose of business is not just to make money. The purpose of business is to purchase property. Mm. You know, because if you're not purchasing property, then you know, you're know you not really creating wealth. As we've seen with these lockdowns and COVID, business can go severely up and down despite all your plans. Yeah. But property, that will actually stand uh, through the test of time. I mean, I've learned uh, something recently. It took me uh, 12 months to learn this. And I never would have learned this in, in corporate. But I've, I've learned, and I even taught about it in, in one, of my, uh, one, one of my Instagram lives. I taught about it, but then I applied it myself, where I was able, without, my, without utilizing um, lots of income or, or huge amounts of capital, I was able now, and I've applied that for, for myself and, and for my family, to earn income from property that I don't own, mm. you know? And it took me like 12 months to really understand, you know, how to do this correctly. But once I was able to do it and then it was working, I sat there and I thought, you know, the, 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 the peace of mind that you've gotten from, from learning something new that you can apply for yourself. Mm. Mm. I mean, how much is that worth? And I never would have learned that. I just wouldn't have had the time. Yeah. But I mean,
0: is this, so I think in one of the, one of the things I sort of wanted to probe you on, so you're a property mentor with a specific focus on cash positive properties. Now for someone like me, who doesn't know, what is that? Please unpack that for <laughs> us. Because I kind of pick up traces of of it in what you just mentioned now, but maybe just take us through that.
1: No, that's fine. I, look, I think because, you know, I go on, um, especially social media as Papa Biz, because Yes, I talk a lot of uh, about property, but I have this entrepreneurial and business um, mindset, so I try and add the two as, as as I talk through. And the reason that I focus specifically on on cash flow positive uh, properties is that uh, when I was just getting new in, into property, I was told, "Okay, cool, this is something that you must participate in," and all the agents and everybody I knew said, "Okay, cool. So this is what you can purchase," and then in three or five years time you know, then you'll start earning uh, income from this place. So every single month, you know, when you have the rent and you minus all the costs uh, that you've got, you're actually going to be in a negative um, cash flow position every single Mm. month. Mm. And I thought, oh, okay, but everybody's telling me to do this. So I guess, is that the only way to do this? But in my mind, I'm thinking, but if I keep, if I purchase one, I'm losing money every month. I purchase two. I'm losing more money. I purchased three. No, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> this, this makes no sense. How, why are they telling people to do this? Uh, and again, it was from a uh, it was from a book I read where it gave me this idea about cash flow positive properties. So I went searching for this um, in South Africa. I, I got a mentor, and 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 he actually directed me to uh, to an opportunity. This must have been six, uh, six seven years ago. To uh, there was a building that was selling quite a, a few apartments and i and i went and i and i viewed uh this building and what was interesting about viewing that building is uh when my mentor presented the opportunity it was to a room full of about 100 people and the the, the room was mixed it was different people just, uh, black indian white just different people now when we went to go and view the building well, there were about 10 of us mm. and i remember viewing the building and i was looking around at everybody else who come to view the building and i was thinking why am i the only black person here mm. Where, where's everybody else you know and I viewed it and the numbers made sense and 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 we purchased uh, into the into the the building uh, it was quite nerve-wracking because you know this is the first time we're investing in, in property on this type of scale uh, but yeah we applied to the bank for for four uh, apartments and then the bank approved um, for all four same time and I was I was I was so shocked that that they did that and all these properties they were cash flow positive from day one from day one, and I thought this is crazy. And whenever I look back, you know, I, I've, I've actually got huge regrets um, in that deal. And, and and the regret is because uh, can I tell you how many times those tenants have, have defaulted over the six years? Yeah. Those tenants have never defaulted. Whew. Those tenants have never. That's a good book. Those tenants have never skipped rent. Uh, so it's, it's not seasonal. So so my big regret with that deal is that um, at the time, I mean, we were earning quite well. I mean, You know, we both uh, earning quite well. The bank would have given us, um, they would have allowed us to purchase 16 properties. And we didn't do that because we were but you know, just trading carefully. Mm. And when yeah. I look back, I do look at it with regret thinking, we should have just done the 16. There were 32 apartments available. Um, so it's, it's just from that experience, um, and, and I've I always focused on looking for opportunities like that. You know, I'd end up having different people asking me, how do I do this? How do I do what you're doing? And that's how the mentorship uh, part came through. Um, then I'd structure it and uh, continuously engage, especially young professionals, that not only is property important, but it but it has to be cash flow positive. It, it doesn't matter what anybody in the industry is is telling you. If if you're rich, cool, then go and buy a place and, and wait for it to become um, positive in like three or five years' time. Wait for the capital to... to to appreciate, wait for the property value to, to go up. If you're not rich, stay away from that. <laughs> what are you doing?
0: <laughs> now, Papa man, before I get deeper into the property, i sort of conversation. I want to, I want to dabble on something here. So here you are, you've got these boutiques, right? multiple boutiques and guys, we're having a broad conversation here, but it, it will all make sense. You've got these boutiques, but one, one of the key things I've picked up and, uh, you pick this up with large franchises that are that have got you know shops all over the board is the lack of consistency in the product but just in and itself being able to set up and structure um a replication you know of the main entity in a in a different space is very difficult yeah what went into you know opening up these seven stores and still maintaining the same level of quality. And I'm sure in the back running a back ended production and keeping all the
1: all the mechanics chiming consistently. Well, I guess, I mean, it's part of it is is, is a mindset thing. I mean, I'll give you one example. I remember when we opened um, our very, very first store and my mother came to see the store and she was all excited. And the first thing she asked me, she says, OK, the store is beautiful. The clothes look beautiful. Where's the tailor? Why is there no tailor in the shop? Hmm. Because everybody's used to, you know, if you go to a place like that, there's the tailor sewing, just make the changes and so on. And I told her, but I know you just see one here, but I see multiple in future. Hmm. And I'm not going to be able to do that if now I'm reliant on this tailor being inside the shop because I can't duplicate that. Mm. You know, so I, I need to make changes in order. So even while we're doing the first one, I, we keep, I keep thinking in my mind, what I'm doing here, can I duplicate it? Mm. And if I can't duplicate it, then I'm not going to do it. Mm. Because, you know, if a customer wants that type of service, they can go somewhere else. But I'm creating something that I can duplicate so that, you know, we can maintain um, the service. Uh, so, I mean, that, that helped uh, quite a bit because it also forced us in terms of, you know, the type of systems that we put in place. So even though we had just one store, you know, we had this in our mind in terms of one day, it might be possible that we've got many Now, when you just got the one, you know, it doesn't sound like you're going to do much. But because, you know, from the beginning, you keep thinking, but can I duplicate this? And if I can't duplicate this, then I'm cutting it out. Because I I want that peace of mind as I hope one day to grow, you know. Uh, But, you know, just with that mindset, as we were growing, I think we had four stores. We got selected by uh, the Franchise Association of South Africa. They selected about six different companies in South Africa that... They were looking to to put systems in place and teach the business owners how you know they could franchise, and 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 that helped uh, tremendously. It was it was the program was also for about a year. You can call it a course that we did, but that one we were selected for it, and that also elevated us uh, quite a bit in terms of what would need to to be done in order to to franchise in future, because franchise is not for everybody. But but what I enjoyed you know networking the other business owners that were there. But I also enjoyed uh, being challenged in terms of the type of systems that we'd put in place so that we could even do better. Mm. And that actually helped us uh, you know, with, with with the other stores that, that we opened, you know, thereafter.
0: I mean, a lot of business owners, right, the, everything that the mechanics of the entire business is predicated on me, the business owner. So yeah. I think there are quotations that say something like, I am the business and the business is me. Right, and I guess everything then is driven through this one individual. What's your take on that <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, look, it depends what your goal is yeah um and 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 for me I think i'm I'm cursed with seeking ease, I want ease, mm. you know mm. um mm. I believe that uh I am deserving of ease, so when one is uh, going through an entrepreneurial uh, journey uh, with that mindset, you're sort of almost creating your own job. Uh, you know, often, you know, people ask, okay, but I'm, now you're working, you're working with your wife with all of these businesses and things like that. You know, isn't it uh, hectic and so on? And for me, it was like, yeah, but for me, it's easier working with my wife compared to when I needed to work in corporate with Yaku or Tabo. You know, cause they came with their own issues. Uh, so I mean, it's like it's like if I if with whatever I'm doing, if I don't know how to build it as as we're doing it, to to have uh, my time freed up, then either I need to go and speak to another entrepreneur, I need to read another book, or I need to go and take a course, because for me, I'm not trying to set up a prison. Um, I I I want the income to come through and I want to build something that allows me to enjoy my life. Um, and, and that's why, you know, for me, I mean, you can, as we engage as well, is that I've seen, even with with the new business that, that we've built, my whole focus as it's been going is I've seen other individuals do, you know, provide digital media services. I've, I've seen that, you know, maybe they've got one or two clients, but through that, I'll see, okay, there's a gap here in the market, you know, and as we'd go in and I remember when we had our first client and I kept thinking, okay, well, what are we doing here? And okay, obviously let's do it well. And when the second client w- came through, l- the whole time in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I don't want this to stop with two clients. So what do we need to do? What systems can we put in place such that we, we can have multiple clients? Mm-hmm. Who do I need to talk to? What, mm-hmm. what book do I need to read? Which course do I need to take? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want it to stop with two. And, and and the more I'd, I'd, I'd learn and, and, and apply that in our business, it it lifted the business. We're able to find clients who are even prepared to pay more compared to what uh, happened even um, at the beginning. You know, we're able to get people onto our team that we able to fit into the system. So, I mean, even now, you've, we, you know, we've got people in our team where, you know, the, the one lady, she's in um, Durban. Uh, there's another one, she's in uh, West Africa and another one, she's in um, Asia. So as we, and we engage, you know, with our clients, you know, we're wanting to apply best practices, mm. not only in South Africa, but globally. Mm. Do, you go to, yeah. do you get what I mean? Yeah. And we're able to provide quality services to them consistently uh, while still growing and adding more clients as we go along. So it's almost like it's strange because now it's an online business, but we're applying all the lessons that we learned as we grew the boutique, And the boutique was a business where people would look at it and think, I don't see that's interesting as a business because Mm. that's Mm. something where, you know, somebody just sows one or two things. But it goes far more deeper than that because you're learning business skills that you can apply elsewhere. And it goes back to what I spoke about before. These are things that you learn and you never really learn this while you're in corporate, relying on a single income.
0: Wow. Now, Papa, you know, I think in what you're talking about now, so linking the boutique and the growth of the boutique, sort of talking about the digital company, I think one of the key sort of notes that sort of pops out for me is, you know, how you spent a large corp- a large sum of money in a particular year getting this um, online Facebook sort of training and then growing the following to a crazy number, which originally in your sector, in that Sort of boutique sector, and um, they wouldn't do that. They'd focus on different markets. And I see you leveraging the power of social media, um, in and being able to convert those sort of likes and followings into actual revenue. And you also being able to utilize it now through the digital um, business that you've now set up. How important? Because a lot of business owners sort of every time we sort of think of social media. I guess linking it with marketing, we sort of put it on the back burner and nah, it's not an important budget because it's spending money on fluff. You know, how important is it for us to really leverage? Because, you know, I think what you'd normally see across the board is I'd go on there and all I'd do is i put up a picture of our product and move away, mm. you know. Is that, is that leveraging, you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how important is the social media space? And how do I leverage? And I guess the leveraging in this case would be monetizing.
1: Look, I I can say it like this because, you know, my family, you know, as immigrants uh, into South Africa, uh, it was a a thing to really, you know, get through to them that, look, I understand what I've studied. I understand we've all studied here and so on. However, the world has changed. The world has changed compared to the times when you guys uh, were working. And it's the same thing now, whether it's to business owners, coaches, um, et cetera, is that the world has changed. You need to market. You need to communicate to your target audience what you do so that they can have you as an option when they need your services. Now, yes, there's different ways to market. You can use a billboard. You can use TV. You can use radio. But social media is like an equalizer. Because when you look at the cost required, it's a complete equalizer. Because now you can enter the space and speak directly to your audience, but it has to follow a strategy. It has to follow a specific strategy. And when specific strategies are followed, you really are able to tap into audiences that want what you are offering. So I mean, if you're not so, if you're not going to do a billboard, if you're not going to be in magazines, if you're not going to uh, you know, be on TV, et cetera, you have to market somewhere and it has to follow a specific strategy. And that's what we've done with, uh, with our clients because they're very good at what they do. They're very good in, in the area that, um, that, they, that they specialize in, but communicating that on social media platforms in a manner that you're able to make money from that, that's a different skill. And you know, even for myself, I've come to realize that there are many points in time where I need to pay somebody who understands a specific area that I don't so that I can succeed in that specific area as well. It doesn't mean that I myself need to handle that, that specific um, area, but I need to pay somebody who's knowledgeable so they can help me on, on that journey. I don't know if that makes sense. Now, wow! I mean, it makes total sense,
0: right? Because, you know, I think yet again, I won't get into it because we sort of, I touched on it with Haiti. I mean, I still get impressed by some, some of the testimonies I've picked up from the guys that you guys have worked with, right, in the digital business. But I think in the power of leveraging as well, you know, I also sort of, I also watched and I think I saw one of your lives sort of unpacking, Um, not necessarily best practice, but how to, I've got it right here. What are some of the funding platforms outside of, traditional banking systems, right? And I guess in you you know, you can never talk about entrepreneurship, I guess property as well and um, investment without talking about how what are what are what are the funding mechanisms that are out there for one to raise capital? Because I guess as an entrepreneur or as individual, sometimes we get stuck on I need to go to the bank. If the bank says no, that's the end of the whole entire <laughs> thing, what are some of the alternative funding avenues or platforms that an individual and entrepreneur can sort of look at in funding their
1: new investments, their big idea, or their property development. Look, there, there's so many different um, areas uh, to one can get funding, and I think w- what happens is that um, initially, uh, one's not as knowledgeable um, about these, so you get stuck. You think I can only go to the bank, and 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 part of this is because you know when when I when I look at how. We funded our boutique business as as we were growing, you know that that whole thing was completely self-funded. It it was funded by by our income and our salaries, and, and and that's that's how we grew it. Because we'd see sometimes you know other entrepreneurs or businesses where they had funding from the beginning. They haven't tested the idea sufficiently, and they're receiving funding, and and the money gets used. <laughs> the money gets used on stupid things. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't you don't know the value of, of, of what you've what you've received, and so so because we, we come from a background where our funder our main funder was our clients, our clients were the ones who were funding our business because we had to prove to them so they could give us the money. It 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 gave a, a different type of mindset around funding. At the same time, when it came to property, that also drove a thing to understand and research to find. Okay, outside of the traditional bank where else can one go and, and, and get funding and there's, there's so many numerous i mean i'll just mention um two that that, that, that i speak about and that I, I teach on i mean the one is obviously a uh, private uh, private funding where you can get money from individuals individuals who've got access to to capital they don't have the time or the knowledge mm. to invest uh, in property even though they know property is something that they should do those individuals if you are able to demonstrate to them that you'll give them returns better than what they can get from the bank with specific property deals, they'll be very open to listening. And not only open to listening, they'll say, hey, please take my money. Because my money now, where it's sitting in the bank, I'm earning like, I don't know, two, three, 4%, 5% if they're lucky. And you're saying that what we will do here together, I can earn 15, 20%, 30%, whatever the case is. So you show them that opportunity and, and, and they're prepared to get involved. There's even another um, institution that even now I'm, I'm participating with, that we're participating with, they're, they're called Tuff. I'd never heard of them before. Mm. I'd never heard of them uh, before until uh, last year, where they partner up with uh, investors to, to uh, develop um, properties within the, um, the mm. CBDs. Within the CBDs, within you know, Johannesburg, uh, Pretoria, et cetera, within South Africa where you'd find your traditional banks, perhaps they're not prepared to invest in those areas because they've got an over-exaggerated view of risk. <laughs> uh, they're, they're prepared to come into those spaces and, and, and partner with you. And, and their deposit requirements are not, are not excessive. Their, their terms are, are quite friendly. And they're also prepared to help those who are first-time investors. Sure. They're prepared to help those who are first-time investors in those spaces. Tough, T-U-H-F. And only once I, I learned about them and I researched about them as well, I'd drive through the, the city centers. And you know what I'd find? They've got their billboards all over the place saying this building done by tough, this building done by tough. Mm. But because you were unaware about it before, and like you, you wouldn't know. over your head. Uh, and then you approach them and say, how can I participate with this? And they, these are our requirements. Go find a building that makes sense. Uh, if it can be converted, then then let's talk, uh, and 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 so we're and that's why it, you know, it's almost like as as a property mentor, as as you mentor others, you're also teaching yourself.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that's the same thing with every type of mentorship, and and you're you're learning more and and more, and and, and the, yeah, yeah. Sorry to cut you off.
0: That's there. cool. And I think for me, you know, I think what you mentioned now is such a such a very very powerful thing, right? But, you know, sometimes when we sort of think of owning properties, we sort of, I don't know, I don't know if we sort of think, you know, it's for other people, but not necessarily for us. We don't necessarily consider it as um, a cash generating sort of platform. And when you sort of mentor these individuals that you'd mentor, and I think into identifying cash-positive properties, what are some of the misconceptions that you've sort of picked up, either with them as mentees or just people out there? Because I think I then, for the longest personally, have thought, ah, property, you know, now I'll just get a house one day and live (laughs) in it, right, and make my money from other things.
1: yeah. No, so, so some of the simple uh, misconceptions you'd find, you know, is for instance that I can only make property, I can only make money through a property that's fully paid off. So I need like lots of money in order to participate with property. And that's that's completely not true. That's not how the majority of, of investors make money with, with property. Some of the other misconceptions would relate to, you know, where am I going to find a tenant for, for a place or that, you know, tenants don't pay. So I'm going to something that's completely risky. And, and that's also not true. What, um, what I find is that what is risky is is in not getting knowledge to get past the things that you might think have risk. Because when you educate yourself, you're able to understand that this is, this is managed risk. There are ways to manage uh, the concerns that are out there. With, with whether it's property or business, or whatever, because you get educated and realize this is the way that I can go around um, uh, these matters. Cause they like, even like with the tenants, there's so many different platforms that, that um, assist, you know, one to, to manage uh, tenants so that uh, you don't end up with a place where, you know, you're not earning income uh, from it. Um, you know, some of the other uh, misconceptions of course, is that, you know, it, it, it takes, a very, very long time before one can earn money through through property, which it doesn't have to be the case. It depends on what, um, it depends on the type of opportunities you're able to find. And, you know, trust me, I mean, if you're able to find uh, good opportunities and you understand what is a good opportunity, you know, the money will come.
0: And I mean, if I, if I'm someone who's got ambitions of sort of going into the space, what, what 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 does the i don't know what does the mentorship program look like because i think that in and of itself i found that to be very enticing because you really find such i guess also the hook was for me with a specific focus because normally across the board it's across the board you talk about this and that what does the program sort of cover and who does it cater for
1: okay no so so my program and and, and who it caters for i mean it caters for um Um, individuals who obviously, of course, they they want to make money through through property. Uh, They want to build um, a legacy. And, you know, what I'll look in there is uh, specifically around what are their goals? What are their aspirations? Why are they interested in property? Because when I can understand those motivations, I know, you know, where to direct them. Okay. We'll also look into what are the different types of strategies that one can follow within property. There's many different strategies and you don't have to take um, all of them. Uh, you, You can take those that speak Specifically uh, to your goals, um, we also look at you know how to identify cash flow positive properties. What does it look like? So that now when I'm driving around, I know if an agent shows me this type of place, I can immediately say this is specifically not <laughs> what I'm looking for. I don't want to waste my time here. I'm looking for this. Then they also know how they can help you as well. Um, we'll look at you know even just how to assess the numbers. Because the numbers are are, are are the key. I remember hearing, you know, years ago, people talk, about oh, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. What does that mean? It's, and it would be so frustrating. But it's simple numbers. It's simple numbers that when you understand them, you know very, very quickly, this is something I'm prepared to be interested in or this is something I'm not prepared to, to be uh, interested in. Um, and at the same time, we'll also do a, um, a walkthrough. We we'll do a walkthrough to look at, you know, even some um, places that, I've got uh, in my own uh, portfolio, some of my other uh, clients that I assist um, as well. So they're able to see, okay, not only is this theoretical, but this is also practical. This is mm. practical, this is how I identified. Mm. These are the other things that I need to look out for. It's not just theory that I'm talking about. Um, and thereafter, it's, it's, it's for the individuals to, to practice what they've learned. They're not gonna get a certificate. Your certificate isn't applying what you've learned.
0: <laughs> and I like that. You know, you know And I liked that. You're right. Because I think what you what you were sort of saying in and around the experiences that you have, the certificate would be how and how you apply it, right? And I guess how you apply it would then bring in the revenue. And I mean, how important just is that? Because do you have people in the mentorship program who sort of come on and I mean, they sort of dilly-dally and they don't apply because I, w- I would understand in a service-based business you'd have people who are like, "Oh, but this—you promised me PR, and no one's coming, and no one's catching, but the people themselves are not putting
1: in the effort." Yeah. Look, that—that's one of the interesting parts uh, when it comes to uh, mentorship. It's uh, just understanding, even emotionally, um, for yourself that, and and I'll say this to to the to the group when I'm talking with different people is that statistically only 30% of you are going to apply what I'm teaching you. I'll give you the knowledge, I'll, I'll direct, I'll show, but only 30% will apply. So this message, as I'm communicating what is required to be done, I'm actually only speaking to a small portion who are actually going to take this information and utilize it for the, to improve themselves and their lives. And you've got to be comfortable with that. Uh, in in the beginning, it's it's frustrating, man. It's like <laughs> listen, but I mean, we spoke about this. Why aren't you? I mean, this isn't that complicated. Yeah. Uh, but then you need to get comfortable emotionally to say, you know what? Okay, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So that's why you know even just just outside of property, I mean, what what we've done now with our with our digital media uh, businesses, you know, we help um, we we help coaches, property coaches. Um, Career coaches, transformation coaches, those those who are required, you know, to show up are online, and even those who, you know, they, they they've got a view to to present themselves as a as a brand, and will apply, you know, the the things that we've learned on on the different either social media platforms or the um, online platforms to say, look, we're gonna take that thinking process away from you, we will do this on your behalf, because if it's just something where we teaching and we wait for you to apply. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. So in in that you know we offer this um, service to them and, and and they pay us you know every month for that type of service because we take that headache away. Mm. And yeah. and one of the things that I've heard quite often from our, our clients is that they have such peace of mind now mm. because they don't even need to think about it, but they see the post going out and it communicates exactly what they would wish to be communicated about them, mm. and more so in a manner. That also invites an audience that's prepared to pay them for what is being shared. Which is very, very different to, you know, what they had in mind before, which is something somebody comes in and okay, they make posts for us and, you know, they, they do our website and things like that. It's because we're entrepreneurs. It's because we had the boutiques for so many years that we understood whenever money comes out of my account, I need to make sure more money comes in. Mm. this isn't for fluff Mm -hmm. i mean this is serious Mm. Um, and and so we apply that um, as well with our clients and they're very very grateful for that and and we've got very great relationships with them and and they teach us a lot and then we teach them quite a bit as well and and we all grow together
0: and i mean i can imagine through that whole entire process that Um, Yeah, you've got a big pool of clients, but I would imagine there's quite a large number of them that you also turn down. I think just listening to how the intricacies and being intertwined with that individual's brand that you would be able to put stuff out on them without them in directly engaging you but just purely through whatever brief that you would have had do you find yourself in a situation where you need to turn down
1: yes higher fire delete yes <laughs> uh, there's, there's two types of clients that we find ourselves uh not not working with the first type is uh where for instance like we don't see alignment um it's just it's just not going to make sense you know they'd be better off being helped by by somebody else and the second one of course is uh how I describe it as, you know, where you where you uh, fire cheap uh, customers, where you know, and a cheap customer, it's not somebody who's, you know, poor whatever the case is, it's just somebody who's not prepared to pay for the value that you're providing. You know, we learned that intricately um, in our uh, boutique business, where you know, you'd you'd have clients that that are very very demanding, very demanding with what they want, but they're not prepared to pay for the value that you're providing to them. And it's such a simple thing where, you know, you need to be able to be comfortable enough to say, you know what, it's okay. We don't have to work together. Mm. Whatever you've paid here, actually, rather Mm. take your money Mm. because Mm. you're not prepared to pay for what I'm bringing to the table. Mm. And that's a universal thing where, you know, especially as black entrepreneurs, we really struggle with. Yeah, we do. It's something that we struggle with (laughs) to be able to say, I'm firing you we don't need to work together there are other people who might offer a similar service or a different type of service go there and trouble them because i want ease i want ease of mind with income that's coming through to me what you're paying for actually it's it's sort of you know a small portion in terms of what i receive in total but i'm thinking about you so much because of <laughs> the 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 so-called demands that you that you that you want but you're not prepared to pay for that as well so rather go somewhere else. So that's where we find like the two types of um, individuals that, that that we that we don't participate with.
0: And I mean, I can't definitely can't totally can't let you go without engaging you on numbers, right? Pricing, because I think quite a large, quite, quite a large number of us as entrepreneurs, I think, have a problem with pricing.
1: Yeah.
0: I think, I think number one with co- costing the actual product item. I think number two, standing for it, right? And I think being able to clearly advocate for it when, you, when you're faced with a client who says, well, I don't think, I think you're expensive you know, and being able to stand for it. Because I think intrinsically I I link that up to being able to fire a client because in the prospect of making, I guess, way less than what you would ordinarily make, you then sit there and think, well, money is money at the end of the day. Is money really money? And, you know, how do I sort of, rather, I think my question is, is money really money, number one? Number two, how did you get to the point where with the boutique, with the um, digital agency, get to a point where you say, well, our fee is 10000 and that is the fee and this is the value against the fee. And we'd love to accommodate you, but the value is far greater than the fee.
1: Yeah. Look, it's a, it's, it's a difficult thing, uh, but but it's important. You know, if, if you're not in that space and you, you're uncomfortable, to you know, really um, engage other entrepreneurs or people within your industry to understand you know the pricing. I mean, I, I remember you know we've got the advantage because we've gone through this uh, with our with our boutiques. Is you know I I remember where oh, our pricing was so cheap. <laughs> <laughs> our pricing was so cheap, and but the thing is that our target market, our target audience, were you know people like ourselves that were prepared to pay um, for convenience. They were prepared to pay, you know, where somebody would respect the money that they are bringing to the table, such that if they've ordered something or if they come to purchase something, they, they can find what they're looking for in different sizes and, and things like that. And, and for that, I you know, over time I realized, but what we offering is, it's, it's, we price it too cheap. Mm. We need to price it higher mm. Mm. and you test. It's 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 champion challenge. You you test as you increase your price to see what is the point that actually makes sense for my target market, my target audience, and and the thing that uh, I've seen over time as well is that when one is stuck like that, even like with our digital digital um, agency compared to where we started before, sometimes it's important actually just to increase the price. Increase the price. Increase the price because there afterwards, as you engage a client, even a new client, you yourself are forced to give value for what they're going to be paying for. Just see, that's, that's, that's powerful. Because now if, if, you, if you have a, a, a service, yeah, as an example, like where somebody's going to be paying, uh, you know, call it like 10, 15,000 rand a month, but you know, you're only charging them 2,000 rand a month, do you know what happens? You start resenting them and mm. you don't give them the value that, you know, that even that they're paying for. And then you lose a lot of clients that way. So it's important sometimes just, just increase the price. You will become better yourself. And your clients will give you the feedback that, hey man, what you're bringing me is like, wow. So now when a new client, new potential client is interested and they want you to go back, you know that I can't do that because then I'm going to be giving you less value. I can't do that for myself. I can't do that for my brand. And, and you don't deserve that either. So if you can't meet us um, at this point, that's also okay. You're not a bad person. I'm, I'm, I'm not a bad person. Yeah. This is what we're offering. And some will say no. Many will say yes. If you say no, it's fine. Move on. Just work the numbers. Now,
0: Papa, wow. You you Sure. <laughs> I'm blown away. I'm blown away. I'm blown away. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs, I guess, I'll speak to two. They're the, there's the group that was been forced through COVID-19 to shut down their businesses of lockdown. Um, they are the ones who've just been holding on to this business for years, but they're holding on to death. In your view, when is the best time or is there even such a thing as the best time to let go? Because I think I, I saw it with one of my businesses. I mean, I held on for dear life. I should have let go long ago but I held on unnecessarily, you know, mm. I guess due to sentiment and the sorts, but I guess for someone who has been frustrated by COVID and is still holding on, is it still worth it to hold on or must one, I guess, through adaptability and assuming agility, you know, throw caution to the wind. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that, that That's a difficult one because it's, it's actually very, very personal mm. um, because, you know, with, with any business that that one develops, it's actually, it's like your child, you know, you devote like a lot of attention to it. You feed it, (laughs) you invest in it um, and things like that. And it's strange because, you know, I've also had to like learn things that I was, would have found very very uncomfortable before, because you know, my background's from actual science, but it was almost like, you know, one actually has to go through the trauma. You have to go through the depression. You have to go through the feelings that, you know what, this is not working out like I had hoped. And there's a point then where you marry that with the numbers and then you start looking at the future. And only once you've almost grieved the loss of this are you then able to look at the numbers and cut ties if you have to cut ties. Uh, You know, one one thing that that I've seen is that uh, business has changed. Business has changed completely compared to how it used to be beforehand, but it's still the same in terms of at the core is that what problem am I solving and does that problem still exist? If the problem still exists uh, for your business or it will still continue to exist, then there's a fighting chance. Give Give it your all. Give it your all. But if you look in the mirror and you look at your specific type of business and realize that problem actually doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. If you realize that that problem doesn't exist anymore, that I'm solving for, well, you're gonna to need to cut ties.
0: Whew. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, you know what? Yeah, you 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 stirred you stirred me up, and I, uh, yeah, it really happens. But thank you. You know, I, I learned so much. Uh, I want to go on. <laughs> this man what's us out of here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our amazing producer, Serge. There we go. And everything is kicking us out. <laughs> That's the reason why this podcast is ending. And don't cut this part out, Serge. Keep this part in. I want them to know you. Man, wow. Sure. A bowl of wisdom. Like, wow. A well of wisdom that everyone needs to drink out of. How do we get in touch with you? Let, let me not cut that out. We're also going to put it up when we put out the details, um, the write-up on the podcast, but how do we get in touch with you?
1: Well, you can get in touch with me on social media. I run under Papa Biz, P-A-P-A-B-I-Z. Uh, I like to share a lot of uh, what I've learned um, and, and and just engage, you know, with with my audience and things like that. So, yeah, that, that's the platform that uh, people can reach me. I'm predominantly on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not a, a Twitter person as much and I don't understand TikTok yet but it's coming it's coming <laughs> um, so yeah that, that's predominantly where one can, can find me um, yeah that's no, no, can no, no. Sh-
0: and then your final parting shots to an entrepreneur out there something that's a mantra something that's in your heart something that you've observed that you would love for them to know and
1: whatever <sighs> You know, I think something that's close to me, especially as a, a, a black entrepreneur, um, somebody who's had the privilege of, of studying um, at, at university and things like that, is that, you know, there, there are many challenges that, that we face that, that often you find are quite unique and you wonder, why am I going through this? You know, it would be easier if uh, I, was, I was born differently. However, you know, what I keep close to me is that, you know, you, you truly will be the same person you are today i mean 5 years except for the people that you spend your time with and the books that you read and those two things you do control let that ladies and gentlemen is papa
0: biz check him out on all social media platform i mean episode 8 oh hell thank you thank you thank you um listen To all of our other podcasts and enjoy your business day and the year. That's it for today. If you like that podcast, show us some love and share it with your network. Once again, follow us on all of our social media platforms, hashtag join us for tea, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Shout out to Joe Public for making this possible. Remember, Sisonke Rikaufeila and Foster Njingomzegezege.